0: Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson.
1: Good morning. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, McHenry, Illinois. And we're now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus. So lots of things going on in this clinic now. Uh, Big pet store selling diamond pet foods uh, and uh, Farmina, all the uh, top pet foods, according to Dog Food Advisor. Um, Lots of Cool supplies that we have now in our pet store, things we couldn't provide in our regular animal hospital that we're now able to in this big space. Um, Acupuncture, herbs, all kinds of different holistic treatments. They're getting a pool soon, and we also have an indoor dog park. So if you're ever in Chicagoland, come and see us. Um, So our holistic program is kind of based on a lot of different things, and one of those is the emotional connection between you and your pet and the environment that your pet lives in. So like one of my favorite ways of telling people about this is through our SRT program. Our SRT program like provides some insight into the emotional experience that your pet has living with you. So if your pet um, is living in an environment that's really fraught with a lot of anxiety or, you know, maybe you're just a big talking family. Maybe you guys yell at each other a lot just because that's just how you communicate. Okay. So like nothing's wrong with it. It's just that that's the environment the animal is in your animal will experience that. And it does come out in our SRT program. So that's our custom holistic testing program. And it's very interesting to see that it's also something that pet owners do not want to accept, but I have like a few things, we have a lot of examples of this. So the first one is, this is kind of before we knew how much a pet was affected Mm -hmm. by um, an owner's emotional or a family's dynamic or communication pathways within the home. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'll tell you about that in just a second. I'll tell you this example (laughs) in just a second, but long-term stress in dogs is linked to the owner dog relationship, and that's now been proven by a Swedish university. Um, this uh, study has come out in Science Daily. Uh, it was come. It just came out May 10th of 2021. It says the relationship a dog has with its owner is related to its stress level. This is the conclusion of a newly published study from Linkoping University in Sweden. The results, published in the journal Scientific Reports, also suggest that the link between stress and the owner's personality traits differs between dog breeds. So you might have a dog in your house that's doing fine. It's not really affected so much by everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And then you might have the next dog who like can't take it.
2: Right. And the breed differences are are tremendous because uh, we're just having this conversation yesterday um, about our dog Brandy and how her initial uh, family um, she was more in a suburban mm-hmm. environment uh, backyard environment um, which they had, didn't a, work they out had for a family
1: her. and they had yeah. a family tragedy so they had a, yeah. a a terrible tragedy in their family Brandy ended up eventually coming to live with us. She's a completely wired differently dog. She yeah. is also a border collie, so that makes her <laughs> I don't know, just weird. Border <laughs> yeah, they, they collies are so I mean, crazy.
2: We see her go out to the out on the farm there, and go out to the horses, and she's stalking just in her natural habitat. Mm-hmm. Just how she would, and and if they can express themselves that way, they're much happier mentally, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but also, they're so instinctual; they have an instinct. Um, they we have intention. So the difference is, is that you know. In instinct is they're going to be instinctual to the breed they are so a horse has instincts cat has instincts dogs have instincts but um and in an environment in which it's high sympathetic tone where it's a very active family uh, high energy uh, like you said maybe sometimes arguing it back and forth we do have to play pay conscious attention to how dogs respond to that because they mm-hmm. are picking up on the frequency same way with cats mm-hmm. and um, high sympathetic tone has been shown to increase cortisone levels uh, to reduce immune system response. Also, um, it can affect the GI tract and it's, it's well documented on Uh, high cortisone levels and decreased amount of digestion because it affects the GI tract, can suppress Hmm. the thyroid, you know, um, also Mm -hmm. suppress the immune system, which can lead to infection or inflammations. And sometimes when we get these chronic cases, we do have to pay attention to emotion Mm -hmm. uh, because that's a big factor, especially with SRT.
1: So cortisol is actually what they measured in a bunch of different dogs. So They collected hair from both the dogs and the owners, and they measured levels of cortisol, which is the most important stress hormone. And they were interested in whether there are differences between different dog breeds and breeding, of course, obviously has led to genetic selection over time. The study included 18 dogs from breeds that have been bred for independent hunting. So you've got the Swedish elk count, the Norwegian elk count, and the dachshund. Mm -hmm. And they also had some other different groups going on from like ancient breeds and that kind of thing, like the Shiba Inu, the Basenji, that kind of thing. So um, they had people complete questionnaires, how's your lifestyle like, how's that working, all of that stuff. And the results showed that the owner's personality affected the stress level in hunting dogs, but interestingly enough, not in the ancient dogs. In addition, the relationship between the dog and the owner affected the stress level of the dogs. This was the case for both types, but the result was less marked for the ancient dogs. So they were, I guess, more willing to just be able to handle stress?
2: I think so, I, because, uh, you know, as the dogs be, I guess the more popular breeds, if there's a higher population, uh, usually means there's a higher population of domestication, which, uh, you know, more ancient breeds still have that more primal instinct. So they're mm-hmm. still more instinctual <laughs> as our domestic dogs become, um, you know, more bred to be in the human setting probably going to be more stressful, um, pick up on more stress, Mm -hmm. just based on the environment.
1: Mm -hmm. So we had a pet owner one time, this guy was a very rigid man, and he was not going to believe anything. So he was was not a believer (laughs) in holistic medicine, the SRT program, he went ahead and did the custom holistic test. Mm -hmm. We did give it to him. And it returned with, you know, the results for the emotional thing. Well, he didn't think that was possible. Dogs don't have emotions like this is stupid. So he was not nice about it. He was actually one of the meanest clients I've ever had to deal with in 20 years time. He's a pilot. And anyway, (laughs) and he's a suburbanite. So that is, I don't know. It was just a tough, it was a very tough situation. And the reality though, is that you could see everything this man did to me, all the things he was saying to me, all the, you know, trying to communicate and tell him what's going on. You know, this is an alternative type of test, but we have very, very good results with it. You know, if you just kind of work on this stuff a little bit and give, you know, at at that time we were prescribing Bach flower remedies as remedies for these emotional stresses Mm -hmm. that the pets were going through, he was not having any of it. But all of those things that he was doing to me in this way were coming out in the dog. I mean, everything he was saying and doing Gosh, to man. me, and this, trust me, this went on for a while. It was not, it was one of the least pretty things I've probably ever had to go through being in the animal hospital for over 20 years now. It was tough and he was mean and you could see it and you could see it in the holistic test. You could see the effect on the dog. And um, you know, he left after that because he thought the whole thing was so ridiculous, but in the reality, in the end, it really wasn't.
2: No, It's <clears> absolute <throat> truth. And, Frequencies are—you have to think about frequency. And so, uh, the best example: you enter a room, uh, and there's a group of people there. You can pick up the tone right away, you yeah. know, without even opening your mouth. You can know if it's going to be a happy tone, somber tone, um, and you don't even have to look at the people to feel it. You could say that the stress was so thick we could cut it with a knife. That's oh yeah, that's frequency. You're getting it's just like a radio station. Mm-hmm. You're picking up on vibes. And, <coughs> Animals are more instinctual to pick up on vibes than we are.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, if they were, if you to put uh, my example, I always talk to clients about is that who sticks out in the woods. You know, if you're out in the woods, who sticks out the most? We as humans, because we're the only. Uh, we don't really
1: belong.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't belong. <laughs> so much as
2: everybody else. We're not connected that way. The animals are, and so <laughs> if you were to pull the canopy. And see every animal. You'd be shocked at how many animals are actually right there. You'd mm-hmm. see every snake and spider and you know bear and whatnot. And all they're sitting all sitting there looking at
1: you. All sitting there looking yeah. at you. Yeah. You know, you know I wonder right sometimes. In. You know, like when you're out there, it's like, how many eyes are actually watching me right yeah. now, right?
2: Many, many <laughs> eyes. It's amazing.
1: <clears throat> so we had another story. It, this kind of like was around the time that you started holistic medicine and it kind of got us like onto the emotional component because that just stuff just wasn't out there that long ago. We've been doing this a while. I <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> don't want time. to say how many years, um, although I already did, but <clears throat> so in a lady and it was when my kids were little and I went over to her house and she just had complained and complained and complained about these cats, the cats, are bald. I don't know what's going on with these cats. They're bald, they're chewing their hair out, um, a million other symptoms, stuff like that. So I go over to her house and, you know, it's just sort of like standing there, you know, we're visiting and stuff. She lets out the biggest scream I have anyone I have ever heard. Like she was screaming at her kids, but I swear to you, I jumped so far off the ground. I don't even remember how far it was, but it had to be like two feet. I'm not even
0: kidding
1: (laughs) more. It was out of pure adrenaline. I was terrified because it was just like, you know, you're sitting there visiting along and then this scream like a banshee. And I'm like, Oh my God, now I know what's wrong with her cats because she was a client. And so she went everywhere with these cats. She took them all over the place. Nobody could figure it out. She ends up like moving and getting rid of the cats. So Her words, not mine, because I don't like the words get rid of when it comes to an animal. Mm -hmm. So then I go visit her after she's moved. I haven't seen her in a long, long time. And before we go in the house, I'm like, I bet you those cats are bald. And they were the one comes to the table, turns around, latches onto both of us, turns around. And I'm like, oh, my gosh.
2: Same exact pattern. Same pattern.
1: Everything. Same exact
2: pattern. So cats were not for her. They just know They in that environment, that current environment, and they're much more in tune uh, even than dogs are in terms of because they're still semi dependent. They still have about 50 percent um, wild feral type instinct, you know. And so if, they're, if you're confined to that, I mean, if you're in the workplace and you're under stress all the time mm-hmm. because of a worker or something like that. it it, it plays a big factor and animals, you know, the same way can affect these cats skin, but, you know, it can affect, you know, from chronic diarrhea to uh, Mm -hmm. thyroid uh, to Cushing's disease, Mm -hmm. all those things. So it's a huge factor and we have to, we do have to pay attention to it because um, we're always going to look at our children and go, "You, you seem off today but also look at the pets and see, are they off today? Mm
0: -hmm. Especially
2: if you're having a conversation, you know, you need to glance over and see how's the
1: the pet affected. How's everybody else affected? Everybody that's in the room. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not just, it's not just you. And it's not just, um, you know, like the people it's everyone in Mm -hmm. the household and people, you know, I think just kind of don't realize the impact of that, but it is there. And, you know, you'll, you get people who are just traditionalists and, you know, it's like, give me the vaccines. How much is it? Okay. uh, That's all I'm doing, you know? Oh, all right. You know, it's, it's your belief. It's your pet. There's, you know, I I can suggest a lot of other things, but they don't believe in any of the um, extra stuff. Like, you know, pets have feelings, pets have emotions. I do believe in that. Mm. I can see it. I obviously you see that your dog is jealous of the other one.
2: Yeah, you can see that in, in their competitive instinct and in their willingness or to rise up in the pecking order, try to get a little higher. Mm-hmm. So they're going to compete with each other. They're going to include us and things like that mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah,
1: they compete for like our attention. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I personally find the whole like they're not a sentient being or whatever just kind of weird. I mean, how can you not see it?
2: No, they definitely have emotion because we do. You know, they maybe can't originate emotion because like I said.
1: So they're not sitting there plotting and scheming like, well, I'm getting out of the kennel first. And if I run first, I'm going to get to the mom, you know, and she's going to give me the peanut butter toast. So they're not plotting and scheming that they just act.
2: Yeah. Just step out in the woods. You don't hear chattering and nattering about things. Right. (laughs) But if we're out there, you do. Nobody
1: would go. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
2: So, so it makes sense. You know, it really does. And, um, because um, in 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 the impact that it has on health, uh, especially during stressful times, and of course the pandemic and everything with tons of stress in the last couple of years here, but um, so it we do have to pay attention to that, especially mm-hmm. when pets aren't getting better or they seem a bit off or they're not eating well or something like mm-hmm. that. It, we do have to measure that for sure.
1: You have to think about everything you're you're including in your part in it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's, that's a general overall one, though, that maybe people don't always want to do. <laughs> no, because you do have don't to look at yourself not necessarily bit, think right? my part in it. Yeah.
2: Because uh, let's face it, you know, when, you, when you're in public, you have a public persona, mm-hmm. but then behind closed doors, things may be much different. Because <laughs> you ask somebody, how are you doing? And I would say, fine. Are right. you really fine? You know?
1: No. We don't know. And then you go home and. Who knows? Right. right.
2: So they, they have to dig bad. into the psyche a little bit and it's, mm-hmm. its we don't want to go there very often.
1: So describe some of the remedies like so if somebody is self-aware and they want to go out and start treating themselves or treating their pet, um, describe some of the remedies available because we have used um, Bach flower essences in the past. Those mm-hmm. are really nice. We usually send people to like uh, a local health food store to pick those up. They often will carry a really large array of them. For us to carry it, it's like pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So we just um, send people, you can get them at a health food store, one of your big ones, maybe like an independently owned health store. So those are that's where you get them. Describe how that works. Well, the Bach Flower
2: Store developed uh, many years ago Um, in response to how emotion and health intertwined. So you can actually look at the Bach flower remedies and see the emotion that's behind that and choose how you're feeling today. And that's the remedy for that because
1: it's right on the box. Mm -hmm.
2: It's very cool. And the, the idea is that motion has a certain chemical factor in your body.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And it's not that you shouldn't be emotional. It's just that, during negative emotions, you have to treat that or it can become a disease problem later on. So Mm -hmm. so buckflowers are the top uh, homeopathic product uh, to use for emotional- So this is homeopathy? This is homeopathy. Okay. um, And herbal.
1: Okay. Uh, So like a lot of people, um, when you go get it, it'll say like, and you might have to Google some of the words because like people don't really use the word agrimony a lot, mm-hmm. but it happens a lot. So if you right. want to take your phone in a dictionary app with you, that would be good. Agrimony is one that you end up treating a lot. Mm-hmm. A very frequent treater of that particular thing. How does that show up on a custom holistic test?
2: Well, and with the SRT right now, there's, there's a scale of emotions. There's, there's four levels. Uh, and if it's negative you can tap into that and actually get the emotion that's that's tied to that okay and uh, once we find out what that is you can actually r- reduce the negative frequency that that created in the body if it's chronic stress by using the srt drops we calibrate the hemp oil and actually can reverse that in a relatively short order usually three weeks uh, up to three months to change that but The thing about, once we make the adjustments, we do have to look at the environmental factors because um, it can revert back very quickly. Uh, We do have to make adjustments in the environment. So, um, you know, going for walks or engaging the kitties if you have cats uh, with interactive play, um, especially if they're the only cat in the house, they do uh, like to have us involved um, in, using a, a little feather toy or a little mouse toy and things like that. So you do have to engage with them. Horses, the same way. Horses can feel emotion much more so than even dogs and cats and, uh, just going f- uh, for a ride, uh, doing something different. If you're in a hunter jumper competition, just taking them out in the woods and walking the trail, something totally, uh, that's, that's something that they're not used to. And also that can help a lot in getting them engaged again.
1: Okay. All right. So, um, and then just like if if you have an emotion or if you're kind of like upset about something, maybe just keep your dog out of the room.
2: For sure. I always say eight feet apart, okay. eight feet away is uh, they say beyond eight feet, the frequency or the aura. Of, and this gets into the woo-woo part of this is the aura runs out about eight feet. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, the frequency starts to die down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they would
1: still hear like yelling and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. They can okay. still hear
2: it, but it's it's not the power of it. You know, someone yelling across the field. Yeah, got you. Uh It's not such a big deal, but they're two feet in front of you. You know, it's a it's a much bigger (laughs) yeah bigger change. That's
1: true. That's true. All right. So um, from Science Daily, there is another new study. I love this one. This is so cool. By the way, if you have questions, you can ask them here. I can see you on Facebook. Um, So you can just type in your question. We'll try to answer it for you as we're live here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you want to get a hold of us, we have a group group called Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. So you can put your question in there. We usually answer it on the show. I don't have a lot of time to, you know, type it all out later, but it may end up in our blog. So um, that uh, we're getting a new website. So we're in the middle of that right now. So the blogs will have to, I'm going to be writing all summer and catching that all. (laughs) But, But anyway, help is available. We'll do our best to help you out from, you know, the info you give us. Okay. Okay. So this is kind of along the line of the emotional component again from Science Daily. The study at Aarhus University in Denmark says, you know, we're all familiar with the sounds of a cat or dog vying for human attention. And for pet owners, these sounds are particularly Evocative. Dog sounds are especially sad to both cat and dog owners who actually rate a whimpering dog as sounding as sad as a crying baby. Wow. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Aw. So these results are reported in the new study, positively sad from pet owners are more sensitive to negative emotion in animal distress vocalizations. And um, this is by uh, Dr. Christine Parsons. Pet ownership is associated with greater sensitivity to pet distress sounds and may be part of the reason why we're willing to spend large amounts of time and resources on our domestic companions. Mm. It might also explain why we find interacting with pets so rewarding and are emotionally impacted by both positive communication signals like purring and negative ones like meows or whines. Nobody likes to hear a baby whine.
2: No, for sure. <laughs> and and we're I think is is uh, as parents when you've had babies, um, you're more in tune to that because you have you know previous experience having been a child, and then your your grandparents and great grandparents' experience and all of that. I think we feel like we have we know what to do when the baby's crying. But mm-hmm. when our fur babies cry, and we feel somewhat helpless because we feel like that they're helpless.
1: Yeah, you're not sure how to not sure make sure it go away. because right? right. you're not sure what's going on with them. Right, that's the big predicament that veterinarians face every day. <laughs>
2: right, they can't talk to us. You <laughs> babies, can't tell me what's wrong. You can kind of get the idea, the the pattern. You know, mm-hmm. as they get older, obviously they'll start talking, but pets don't. They they never speak to us in that way. You know, as as speaking words. But uh, as we get used to them and their patterns and things like that, we we feel more comfortable about helping them out. But still, it's not instinctual for them to cry out. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it shocks us and go, wow, you know, what am I going to do? What's the problem? Where do I go? you know, how does she need
1: now? Right. And we have a, we have a con artist named peekaboo. She actually is sitting here right now because I know she'll probably start meowing because she likes to get her way, but she meowed at me. So I fed her the other day. Then I, I don't know, I went up outside or something, did some stuff for a couple hours, came back and guess who fed her again. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) did you take her away from her food earlier? And he's like, no, I fed her. And it's because, you know, we both wanted to take care of her when she cries because it's cute. Right. You know, and you think, well, she's hungry. That's what it is.
2: (laughs) And she's arching up, flipping her tail. She's giving that little screechy meow.
1: She has a screechy. She just did a screechy meow. I don't know if you could hear it, but uh, (laughs) she's here. So I'm sure she's going to be pulling her little little con artist kitty stunts. (laughs) Honest. So um, the results suggest that dogs more effectively than cats communicate distress to humans and that their pet ownership is linked to greater emotional sensitivity to these sounds for sounds that we need to respond to, like a dog that is utterly dependent on its human host for food and care. It makes sense that we find these sounds emotionally compelling. So that would be, um, you know, even a dog like in hospice or something. Knowing something's got to be wrong, not necessarily knowing what it is, but it is an alert.
2: Yeah, it's such an emotional thing. I, I remember uh, a client telling me that this the loss of their pet was so much, was harder, he said, than losing his own mother. It was just so emotionally powerful to I him. I think because
1: you're probably taking care of them all by yourself. Yeah. That's really hard it, it bond, is hard you know yeah after yeah. Chorky's surgery i have an all-new appreciation for that because it just didn't you know she just needed so much stuff yeah i wasn't prepared for that i didn't think that could happen but it was true um so the one thing they did say in this study is that the dog people get it more than the cat people um and they are more like in tune to all of this because cats just don't seem to need as much as dogs do so like you don't spend as much time like fussing over your cat as you do your dog, mm-hmm. generally.
2: Yeah, because they, they don't come up and engage with this as much. They still have that interdependence. And there's some mystique about them, you know, because yeah. you don't know what the cat's thinking, kind of figure <laughs> the dog out, but the cat's <laughs> looking at you and you don't, what are you thinking? You know. Right. Right.
1: Well, they're really cute, though.
2: They are. They're the best.
1: Yeah. Kitties. I love them. So they said, in general, we think of dog owners in a more positive terms than cat owners. That's not fair. In our study, we were able to test how cat owners, dog owners and people with no pets responded on a series of robust psychological measures. And we found no differences actually, so no differences among the people, but just the way like we perceive each other. For symptoms of anxiety, depression, and self-reported experience in close relationships, we found no differences between adults with and without pets. We suggesting that cat or dog ownership is not necessarily associated with individual differences in psychologic health, at least as tested here. So (laughs) anything you want to say about, Oh, that one's a cat person. I see it, you know, like, or anything, anything like that. There really isn't a difference between owners. No,
2: just uh, an old stereotype.
1: It is. Yeah. There's
2: nothing, no fact to it at all.
1: (laughs) That's cute. All right. Well, at least now you know that one, right? All right. So um, we had a couple of things come up in our pet store. I just wanted to tell you about super fast while we had a second. Um, you know, over the summer, dogs can't sweat. Um, although you said some dogs sweat through their paws or their armpits a little bit or something.
2: Yeah, through the pads, they will get some moisture there. Maybe a little bit in the armpits, but mostly the pads
1: okay so there are some things you can do for your animal um you could probably find these toys online so you don't have to get them for me or anything but uh this is the cool pup dogs cool down um little bomb pop so it looks like a popsicle you put it in the freezer and um, then as it defrosts they can play with this toy nice and cold so they can have a little fun with that we also have the cool pup cooling towel to cool dogs down you might have seen these and honestly I don't think I've ever seen them at the dollar store because, you know, you know, if you can save a little money, I got that. I got you. But this um, cooling towel, it's one of those things where you get it all wet and then you like put it over yourself or your dog. And it helps. um, You got to wring it all the way out and you just put it on and the evaporative cooling is what helps with this. So. This might be kind of nice. It also provides a little bit of shade. I've actually gotten a really big one one time, and I took it to a horse show for a black horse that we had. And um, he loved it. So he came out. It was smoking hot that day. And he came out and I put that over his neck as he walked back to the barn and he absolutely loved that. So kind of a, kind of a good thing to help cool down. They make them for people as well. So you might find them. Uh, So they make some mats as well out of this kind of stuff. Uh, So you might be able to, you know, put it over your dog's bed or Make your own, one or the other. Um, and then we also have the swim towel and this is um, keeps your dog clean and dry after a swim or a bath. I think it's super absorbent, it's $12.99. So the swim towel uh, by Dog's Outdoor Gear is kind of a nice product to have. Obviously, we're having a swimming pool in here, so we'll probably have 800 of these towels to try (laughs) to keep up with um, the laundry situation around here after that. But um, just a few things you can use this summer. Uh, It's already hot here. It's really muggy out, um, and we're in the upper Midwest, so I know some of you have already hit well into the 80s or 90s or whatever, and um, any extra little thing you could do to help cool your pet off and still let them enjoy being outside and, you know, being in nature and that kind of thing is always really good. So we're going to take a break. Um, You can also join us on our Facebook group, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. So sign up for that while we take this little break and we'll see you in just a minute.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement career advice and a variety of other topics check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
0: get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry is known Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Um, So today, uh, how many of you guys have a cat that has chronic kidney disease? It's a huge problem, and about 30% of the cats over the age of 15 have chronic kidney disease. There's some promising new cell-based technology that is uh, being researched over at, uh, I believe, Wake Forest University. So... It's the use of cell-based molecules to treat kidney fibrosis, which may be a promising approach. So why do all these cats end up with chronic kidney disease? Well,
2: really, they're, they're a high-protein-based diet, and through the years that the kidney filters start to wear out, but also, as they mentioned, fibrosis. It's just like the liver starts to fibrose, the lungs start to fibrose. Uh, unfortunately, the kidneys start to fibrose, and then you lose kidney function, especially to get rid of a... a a potent toxin called urea which is a byproduct from the protein degradation in food and so cats are uh, on a higher protein based diet so over the years i think it has some effect but at the same time cats need protein but uh, the fibrosing is what ultimately creates uh, the problem and it sounds like uh, with an intrarenal injection we may be oh. able to help
1: you mean you have to sh- give a shot in the kidney it sounds like a, oh. That sounds painful.
2: With recombinant human uh, chemokine CXCL12, supposed to stimulate new cells.
1: Well, I guess the result might be good, though. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Especially to give them some relief if if they're overall, you know. And and the cool thing, uh, but is the cats can respond better if they have kidney disease than dogs. Unfortunately. Oh, really? Um, So they they seem so cats
1: do better. They do better. When you treat it, but dogs don't.
2: Right. Because they, they can Why? respond to hydration better. Um, you know, they can respond to the, uh, the the type of supplements that we use.
0: Okay. Um,
2: they seem to do better with it. Um, and this may be something, especially at early renal issues. Uh-huh. That, oh, could, that, could, a, that
1: could prevent it from happening at, at all. Home because oh, okay.
2: we got early detection with the SDMI test and um, the urine protein to creatinine ratio, which we can pick up before the blood work shows anything. Mm-hmm. We used to just rely on blood work. But uh if you have kidney issues based on blood work, it means 80% of the kidneys is not working. Ew. So it's the good thing you got 20% that still works really well. And they can, can produce sep- super nephrons, but we that's definitely crazy. want to keep those. I didn't there. know that. 80% mm, yeah.
1: That's a lot. They're putting together a clinical pilot study in the US. So Someone somewhere, I guess, is probably going to be able to start using this, at least in this study, and see how it goes. I mean, if you were going to give an injection intra-renally, so that's into the kidney, like, would you sedate them so they didn't feel that? Or would that be more painful than some other kind of injection or something?
2: Definitely would probably have to sedate, but there's some risk, obviously, when you To got, the
1: sedation, because right. if they're old, you know,
2: that that doesn't help. Sure, and but you can do an ultrasound-guided injection. Okay. So you can use the ultrasound to inject it. Um, I'm assuming that they would have. You could probably consider local um, anesthesia in the spine uh, to mm-hmm. act as a dending agent, but. Um, Uh, We'll leave that one up to the experts. I don't think I'll try that one.
0: (laughs) No,
1: I think that sounds like something you go to a specialty center for, for sure. sure. There is also, um, the FDA has approved its first intratumoral injection to treat non-metastatic mast cell tumors in dogs. Um, you, You might start seeing some ads or something somewhere for this new product called Stelfonta. We actually had a case that you kind of considered this Stelfonta with. So tell us about your case. Well,
2: this is an interesting case. Uh, It was a patient that was uh, a canine that was 15 and a half years old. Okay. uh, Started to develop a tumor on its leg and it had been there for some time, but it started to activate.
1: Okay.
2: And uh, the owner said that it looks like it's getting an abrasion over the top of the skin.
1: Was it like a bump?
2: Yeah, it was about the size of a large marble. Okay. Uh, and, and I'd say more golf ball as it went along. And uh, we discussed um, injections. We discussed surgery. Um, the owner felt that, and we agreed, that at 15 and a half, uh, it would be risky and dangerous to try to remove it. And because it was on the area of the leg, of the back leg, just past the, uh, the ankle, would be very mm-hmm. difficult to remove and get it all, and leave a pretty good defect because we'd have to graft skin and things like that. So I said, "Well, I've had some success with this. Uh, you know, it's called basically necrosis uh using a product either Stasis Breaker or Maxis Formula. In this case, we use Maxis Formula because it was a it was a soft." This tumor. is an
1: herbal um, compounded herbal, and it's Chinese based from traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. So both the herbs that he used, both the things he just mentioned our, um, you know, compounded herbals. Hmm. Keep going. What's, what, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what it's designed to do is um, to improve circulation to that tumor, to get immune cells there, but also uh, to take away the vascular integrity of that tumor. Basically we're trying to kill the tumor off
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we're starting in the corrosive factor by starting necrosis, then we're going to get the immune system involved because we basically are creating an infection because the tumor is not infected. If it becomes infected itself, basically immune system can't get there and it doesn't really care, Mm -hmm. you know. But if we can stimulate that and then we started wrapping the leg, now debriding it is basically you're using absorptive gauze, to pull debris off because this thing is going to start to leak and uh, start to break down. And uh, once we got infection to start and basically pull a wrap off and you smell something pretty funky, Mm -hmm. we know infection has set in. So now we go to the antibiotic. I use cefpodoxime and I use Prednisone. Mm -hmm. And between that and the Maxis formula, uh, we started in March and just got a picture from the owner here yesterday and completely healed. Oh, really? It's got a scar, you know, where that was, but that's is it, healed up.
1: It, if it was a tumor, is that still in there?
2: Well, there can still be some tumor cells, but um, now the immune system understands it
1: mm-hmm. and
2: causes what they call natural cell death.
0: Okay.
1: And
2: so hopefully the body can maintain it. The dog is 15 and a half years old, so it, it could relapse or start another growth somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it, at
1: 15 and a half, the owner just didn't want to put this dog through anything that was, um, you know, like injections or surgery or, you know, and the surgery was going to be rough anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an owner's choice looking for something alternative that you can do. So, you know, that. You know, it's not for everybody, but it was for this pet. It's not the first time you've done it. You've done these before. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been pretty successful.
2: Yeah, They have. And, and the owner has to be motivated. Obviously, you're changing wraps every day. And mm-hmm. she was. You know, she said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll change the wraps, you know, and, you know, sends pictures of the progress that we're making and things like that. As long as the patient's comfortable. And she was. Mm -hmm. and uh, she was eating and playful, and that was the other reason we decided to do something because she said otherwise she's a normal-acting 15-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, even puppy-like most of the time, so good energy, so that's that motivates us to try. But Stolfanta is a product that can stimulate necrosis by injection.
1: Okay, Non-metastatic skin-based cutaneous mast cell tumors. So tell us, like, Like what is metastatic? I mean, so it's not like going into the bone or something?
2: Well, metastatic means that that, uh, it's a higher stage. It's like a stage three. And stage threes have the ability to not only be locally aggressive, but then to gain access to the body. So metastasis means it's going to move into the body. All right. So, uh, and when it mentions non-metastatic here, and it has to be above the skin. So uh, a single solitary red nodule has been the classic, uh, Phenotype of that tumor, okay, and it's sitting right on top of the skin, and that would be a great candidate for injection. Uh, but mast cells show their face a lot of different ways. It can look like skin infection. It can be buried under the skin. Uh, those, the ones under the skin, we can't can't inject because it's going to cause necrosis. It's going to cause the cell, the cancer, to die off.
1: Well, they're going to approve Stelvanta to treat non-metastatic MCTs located under the dog's skin so, in particular areas of the dog's leg. So. I think they're like they're working on that below a certain yeah it's not done yet but they're below a certain point on the leg or something like mm-hmm. that and um, directly injected into the MCT into a tumoral injection sounds
2: interesting I mean there was there was some work with uh, the essential oils community about uh, injection mm-hmm. frankincense and mm-hmm. um, and other oils um, and I think this is probably something that had gained uh, from that technology. Uh, to be able to inject something. Oh, yeah, maybe, you know.
1: Yeah, go right in there and take care of it.
2: And it showed some pictures. I mean, it's going to get kind of ugly. Obviously, the the tumor is going to start to die off. So, Mm you know, but keeping them wrapped, let it debride, just like our buddy here.
1: So it's a common, most common malignant skin tumor in dogs usually presents as a lump on or under the skin and the full surgical removal of mass cell tumors can be really really hard when tumors are located in certain areas and obviously one of them is the leg because right. you're so close to so many other things that are important nerves right. bone
2: you know and then the tendons and ligaments and also the the skin is very thin there so once it necroses it's going to leave a defect and it's going to take time for that skin to migrate together because um you can't graft it um and on the side of the body where there's a lot of skin, you know, once it necroses, you could you go in and debride it and suture it up. The legs not as easily done. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, all right. So um, you might see some more stuff about that. You might <clears throat> be talking to your veterinarian about stelfanta. So kind of a good thing coming out on the market now. Okay. So we're um, looking at another study today preventing adverse drug reactions in dogs, and they've gone into epigenetics to learn why some dogs just don't handle anesthesia well. And it's really commonly known in the veterinary community that greyhounds have a really hard time sometimes waking up from certain kinds of anesthesia. Um, And it's because they have discovered this unknown, previously unknown genetic mutation at Washington State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. It's called CYB2B11, and it's the enzyme that breaks down drugs like anesthetic drugs. So those can be ketamine, um, propofol, uh, that kind of thing. And not surprisingly, the mutation was also found in several other dog breeds that kind of look like the Greyhound. So the Borzoi, the Italian Greyhound, the Whippet and the Scottish Deerhound, which I didn't realize that could be related to a Greyhound. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the research team extended their study then and they decided, is that really all? are these just limited to greyhounds? You know, Should we be checking other breeds? Should we be thinking about this a little bit more? And it turns out, yes, they did 60 other breeds and still found CYP2B11 in a lot of other breeds. And surprisingly, it was um, Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers that might struggle to break down the commonly used anesthetics. Commonly used as sex mean um, midazolam, ketamine, propofol. So those are the the big three. They're very often used in surgery, usually as um, a pre-agent. So you're giving kind of like a dose to make things calm down. And mm-hmm. then um, you can finally intubate and then hook up your patient to gas anesthesia. So um, the gas anesthesias are isofluorine or sevofluorine, which is probably more commonly used now. It's used in most pediatric cases, like literally like all of them. So human cases. And um, so it works really, really well on dogs and they wake up very quickly. Um, so these kind of like preagents are a big issue and one you hadn't even, you know, you didn't even really know about without the study of genetics.
2: Right, for sure. Because it in in mutation if we can early detect as part of the natural pre-anesthetic protocol uh, can really help us out a lot in adjusting our anesthetic protocol to be conducive to be able to manage surgery again or you know it may be an issue where we can't even do surgery
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um so it's it surprised them too um this was actually sponsored by the american kennel club Um, One in 50 golden retrievers has this lacking enzyme and one in 300 Labrador retrievers may have low amounts of CYP2B11, according to the American Kennel Club. So um, this is uh, something that they initially thought was just isolated. This is an isolated thing. It's only happening in greyhounds, there's no problem. But I mean, do you see a future of drug protocol changes now that we don't know, or should you maybe see a future in adding this test to your pre-anesthetic workup?
2: I see it as a pre-anesthetic workup because it would be really valuable to know ahead of time, especially on high risk cases, if, they're, if they had a genetic mutation to go along with the high risk. Uh, but any case, I think, you know, would be hugely beneficial. Yeah, you know definitely
1: that. want to know that. So if they did um, test positive for this, how does that change your protocol?
2: Well, like we for may, anesthesia,
1: the pre-anesthesia, that kind of thing.
2: Well, if they have it in there and we can pinpoint the drugs that are associated with it, if it's going to be just mendazolam, propofol, and, and ketamine, mm-hmm. uh, then we can consider using lighter pre-meds.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: the one thing which I don't like to do, it's called crash induction, which is just masking them with SIBO mm-hmm. because they're wide awake and then they're you mask them. Uh, and then they're anesthetized it's the premed is so much better because it's going to relax them it's a, it starts the pain relief going uh, they just don't so much more relaxed uh, mm-hmm. to be induced and then intubated yeah. um, cats respond better to it uh, than dogs do uh, and I don't use it you know I use the pre- meds but be huge to know ahead of time and adjust our protocol
1: Mm -hmm. it looks like they're going to try to create a simple cheek swab test that could be used by dog owners and their veterinarians to detect the mutation and determine an individual dog's sensitivity to the problematic anesthetic drugs so um i think once that's out i'm on board i think that's great i think you should carry that in the animal hospital actually to make sure everything's good
2: that's awesome because it I always felt that if we can do more uh, with DNA testing and maybe even gene therapy uh, to be able to, you know, maybe remove that from the system is is always been of interest. I think it's the next frontier in veterinary medicine to help us out.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, think of all the things we can discover. I mean, there's so many different dog breeds. Yeah. I mean, just, just dogs in general, you know, and then all the things we can discover and then the combinations of dogs and Mats and everything. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I can't wait.
2: So many different ones. It's mm-hmm. it, 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 that's something about veterinary medicine. When you step into the room, I'm always curious who's in there. You know, what do they mm-hmm. look like? It's always fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. And then you're going to learn a whole lot more uh, right. coming right. that way too. Uh, the other uh, big genetic study they've done is um, I- isolating the gene that. Um, causes like heartworm medications to not agree with some dogs. So we mm-hmm. always kind of knew the collie type dogs didn't do well with um traditional heartworm medication, mm-hmm. which is ivermectin. Ivermectin. So your traditional every um month type situation that you give. So they would have to go to a different kind of medication. So anyway, so that's also a cool genetic study that's been going on too. So um, veterinary veterinary staff of the world is sharing your stress during the pandemic. We've been sharing it here. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> when you're struggling, it helps to know you're not alone, according to the American Animal Hospital Association. As much as your hospital staff has struggled with the challenge of practicing good veterinary veterinary medicine during the worldwide pandemic, vet staff around the world have been struggling with many of the same issues that's among the findings of a new survey on ethically challenging situations faced by veterinary staff around the world during covid researchers from the university of sydney in australia developed the online mixed methods survey to determine the frequency stressfulness and types of experiences so that experiences that were emotionally challenging by veterinarians, technicians and other veterinary staff since the advent of the global 19 or the global COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020. So the authors write that the COVID-19 pandemic has been described as a creeping crisis with unidentified endpoints, no clear path to exit from the restrictions, although that's kind of changed a little bit this week. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you grab that? Uh, Kind of changed a little bit this week and um, causing challenges that are much harder to manage than those generated by acute crises. They're more sharply delineated in time. So something like, you know, a a disastrous uh, weather event or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's likely, therefore, that veterinary team members may experience different and perhaps even totally unique, ethical, challenging situations associated with varying degrees of stress at different time points in the pandemic. And researchers analyzed responses from 540 veterinary team members. And it's important that as a profession, we look carefully at moral stress. So the moral stress they're talking about are things like challenging decisions about how to proceed when clients have limited finances. That's just a conversation. We, I, I don't know. I think I'm pretty used to that. We're mm-hmm. pretty used to that because we've right. had that conversation every day with people. So mm-hmm. that's not, to me, we kind of work that out.
2: Yeah. I You know, through the I mean, years, it's hard. We, it's hard to understand it.
1: We understand it and we do that every day. So that one to me is, you know, maybe it's a little worse in some areas than others conflict between personal well being and professional role. Absolutely. Right. So like we ended up with a situation yesterday of someone who's just having such a hard time and hard day. And, you know, they get into sometimes clients get into things like where nothing's right. You're never gonna do anything right. It's this is awful. Mm-hmm. This is the worst place I've ever been. You know, nothing's changed, you know, yeah. but You know, there's crying, there's yelling, there's stuff like that. And you you end up having to unfortunately call the police and have them never come back, get a trespassing order against them. Had to do it yesterday, hate to do it, but you know, the staff takes that home. They're so upset by it. I mean, it was upsetting to everyone. I think somebody in this building has cried every day this week due to people coming in and taking out their stress on everyone else.
2: Right. You know, I, I, I coach the staff that usually if somebody's angry, they've been angry either most of the day or well before most they of the came month, in here, Because right? we don't know their their personal issues. Obviously, when you get into anger mode, you're you're kind of slipping into the mm-hmm. you know yeah into the neither world there. Mm-hmm. So, in um, this these are trying
1: times. But it's and stressful. Yeah. I mean, right. it's stressful in staff. They're like you know you hear then you wake up and you're you're like, oh, so-and-so says she's going to quit because it's just not getting better with the clients or, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's nothing anybody doesn't do. I mean, you can't pick on everything when you come in here, you know, like putting the, um, you know, the lube on the um, thermometer yesterday was a problem, but it was a sterilized thermometer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it touched it. And it's like, okay, I, you know, it's just like the level of of dealing with it is just so, so very difficult. So if you're watching out there, um, you know, that one's for you. So it's, it's just like going into any other business, though. Yeah. But for some reason, I think, you know, I don't think they pull those stunts maybe in a human hospital. They try, but there's security. There's yeah. no security here, you know, right. but it's something... It's something that animal hospitals may need to think about a little bit.
2: It's professional conduct on both ends of the the table, Mm -hmm. you know, both sides of the table. And uh, because obviously we all get stressed Um, in just that situation, you know, having a sterilized thermometer, but just touching the lube, where do you think that thermometer is going (laughs) right (laughs) Right. not in the mouth just everything i mean it just
1: it just is what it is but it's definitely something you know that um people need to think about that's what's really creating the conflict between personal well-being and the professional role and 65 percent of people working in animal hospitals are facing that and it's very very difficult so you know, that's why, you know, there's a lot of turnover. There are a lot of people going through that are like, I can't deal with this. And I don't blame them. It's true.
2: Yeah,
1: it's all true. The other thing they said is the conflict between the interests of clients and the interests of their animals. So one more, you know, kind of like putting you in the role of having to make decisions or, you know, maybe even um, euthanizing an animal that you, you don't want to do, you know, like the the client wants it done but Mm. you can't you know ethically do it so those standards anyway well that's enough for today we got to go but i hope you have a great week and see you soon
0: bye-bye thank you for listening this week to awesome woo-woo holistic vet advice Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.